Welcome to Center Ice. My name is Mac. With me, as always, is Matt. We have a whole bunch of topics to discuss today. It is going to be a shorter show than usual. So let's start off with some news and notes. First of all, congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights, Montreal Canadiens, New York Islanders, and Tampa Bay Lightning for advancing to the third round of the playoffs. And those series we will get into in just a little bit, but we do have quite a few news and notes to cover. So let's start at the top. Congratulations to Team Canada on winning the 2021 IIHF World Championship. And I wanted to ask your opinion on this, Matt, because what I noticed, and I didn't watch a whole lot of this tournament due to work and school and whatnot, but Owen Power was a huge part of Canada's success. And log some huge minutes for them. I think he's for sure going number one in the 2021 NHL entry draft. Are there any other players you thought had a really good tournament? Any country, not just Canada? Well, thinking about Canada in particular, because you mentioned Canada first, who I really noticed was Mangiapane, of course, tournament MVP. He had a really, really strong tournament. And what I found really promising about this Team Canada, Mac, and I'm sure anyone that's watched Team Canada over the past few years is that the problem with Team Canada is that when they get knocked down, they don't seem to be able to find a way to get back up, if you know what I mean. And everyone knows that that Team Canada at the World Championships really started off the tournament slow. They started off with an 0-3 start. They had to claw their way back into the group stage, and they had to win out against Finland just to make it into the knockout stage. And they did that. And what I really liked was seeing the resiliency. Of course, a couple centers had a real big contribution. Nick Paul, Connor Brown, they both had really good tournaments as well. Overall, this was a this was a team Canada that didn't have as much talent as it as it has had in past years. Obviously, with the playoffs going on, a lot of the key players from Team Canada were with their clubs in the NHL. But Canadians found a way to win. And to me, that's very encouraging for Team Canada. And you mentioned Owen Power. Owen Power had a really good tournament, in my opinion, the whole way through. And I think that his performance at the World Championships, Mac, has probably solidified his place as number one. I I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt that he's going to go number one this year. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. And let's just segue into another topic here because Gerard Gallant not only was the head coach of the winning team as Team Canada took home the gold, but he is now the new head coach of the New York Rangers. He's been out of the league for a little bit. I mean, I think he has a pretty decent coaching resume. He has a lot of experience. He just hasn't really been able to stick with any particular team. So what are your thoughts on this decision for the Rangers, Matt? Well, I look at it two ways. I see how this is a really good signing for the Rangers. I see. Because Gerard Gallant is a really good player with youth. And that's one thing he's always been good at. He's really good at getting the best out of his players. We saw that recently, as you mentioned, with Team Canada. And I think that he can really bring something to the Rangers that they haven't had in a while, which is a coach that really is going to demand work ethic. And he's really going to demand all four of his lines to be rolling and playing a full 60-minute game. And that could be just what the New York Rangers need. Of course, I don't think on the flip side of things, uh, you mentioned Gerard Glantz had problems sticking with teams for a while. And 
when he was originally fired from Vegas, certainly a lot of us uh, were quite surprised when that happened. But looking at what the Golden Knights have been able to do, and we'll get on to them later in the show, with Pete DeBoer, that he's really got them playing a much stronger system. And we'll see if Peter, we'll see if uh, Gerard Gallant learned from his firing in Vegas and can get his team, this Rangers team, to be a little more consistent, play a bit more of a full two-way game. Because Gerard Gallant is a decent two-way coach, but I wouldn't say he's the best. He's no Barry Trotz. He's no Pete DeBoer. He's great. His offensive schemes and his special team schemes are really, really good. And, and I'm going to be fascinated to see how this turns out, Mac. But I do think it's important to remember, Mac, that this Rangers team still needs to build up some more defensive depth and forward depth. There's a lot of questions about this Rangers team, so I'm not expecting instant results from Gerard Glant. But I think of the coaches that were available to hire, at least the mainstream ones, I think that this was a really good hiring by the Rangers. I don't think you could have gotten someone a whole lot better unless you were uh, really patient or shelled out an awful lot of money. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the biggest question with Gallant is, can he kind of stick? Because he's had issues with longevity as a coach. He he seems to have like a good year and then, you know, the room kind of loses him or or there's some issue with the team and then he gets dismissed. We saw that in Florida. We saw that in Vegas. Saw that in Columbus. So I think this is a challenge for him to kind of figure out how to make it work long term. I mean, the Rangers have given him, I believe it's a three-year deal. And believe me when I say they're putting a lot of faith in him. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of figure that out and become a very good coach that is consistent in his approach because that's one of the things he's had trouble doing over the course of his career, especially in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. This Rangers team is an interesting team to follow because they're they're in a very similar situation to the Canucks where they've got some really good talent. It's just a question is can management and can coaching guide this talent and mold this talent, raw talent, into something that can become a contending team? It'll be interesting to see because the Rangers have a lot of potential. And when they're on, they're on. But when they struggle, they struggle mightily. And we'll see if... Gerard Gallant can get the most out of his teams. Yeah, for sure. So now on to a little bit of awards talk. First of all, congratulations to Pekka Rene for winning the King Clancy Trophy for his efforts to support the Nashville community. That is very cool. And on to some kind of off-season news and notes. Dougie Hamilton, I think a little earlier than a lot of us expected, the Hurricanes owner, Tom Dundon, is already kind of exploring his market, saying that the team would be open to a sign and trade of sorts. Kind of without saying it, basically he said, we will give other teams permission to talk to Dougie Hamilton, which means, yeah, you can talk to him, but if he wants to sign here for a certain number, you know, we want to know what that number is. So that's an interesting way to look at it, but... um what do you think here? Do you think the Hurricanes end up retaining him? Because obviously he's going to be in big-time demand this offseason, Matt. He will. But to me, the, the big question is, Matt, what's the cap situation? Because no one's quite sure what the cap situation is going to be going into next fall yet. And if it's going to be a flat cap, which I think a lot of us are suspecting, that changes an awful lot about what the Hurricanes do. 
if the cap goes up, they I think it's more likely that he stays. But if the cap stays flat, I think he's as good as gone to tell you the truth. Because his current cap hit is 5.75, but he's becoming a UFA, obviously. And it's highly expected that he'll want a pay raise, especially after the seasons he's had in Carolina. And with Carolina only having about two million or so in cap space, with some RFAs and UFAs they probably want to sign, and that's not to mention any other players they might want to bring on to improve the goaltending, for example. So it's really going to be interesting to see what they do with Dougie Hamilton here. I think he's going to go. It's just a matter of where and who can afford him. And I'm not quite sure what he wants either. That's the other thing. I think he'll probably want somewhere in the range of five, six. I think that's probably realistic. He might want more. It's hard to say. After how he's been playing, he could very well demand seven or eight, but I don't see it happening. However, certainly there will be a lot of demand for Dougie Hamilton. And if the Hurricanes can play this right, Mac, they could get an awful lot back in return for him. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. That's a great point. It does come down to some of those other decisions because they do have some RFAs. And looking at that exit after the Tampa Bay Lightning beat them this year, you would have to think they're not satisfied with that. You mentioned salary for Hamilton. I think there's no reason he shouldn't be asking for between seven and $8 million. You look at what Petrangelo got, which was roughly $9 million. Hamilton is still very young in his prime. This is his first kind of big contract. This is what he's worked his rear end off for his entire career. So we'll see what happens there, but but let's quickly pivot to the Buffalo Sabres. Oh yes, the Buffalo Sabres and Jack Eichel. Now you and I speculated this was going to happen for a while, but it sounds like according to Elliot Freeman, the team and Jack Eichel have a mutual understanding that they want a move to be made. It sounds like he's going to get traded. So buckle up, folks. There's going to be some big-time offers for Mr. Jack Eichel. Absolutely. It's imminent. You and I said it back in the winter, and now it's coming true. And a lot of us suspected it for quite a while. It was just a matter of confirmation. And the the real question for me, Mac, is how long is this going to be drawn out for because obviously as a Senators fan, I'm no stranger to seeing big names on your team getting put out on the trade block. A prime example, I think the best parallel I can think of, Mac, is Eric Carlson, where he was on the trade he was on the trade block for a good year before Pierre Dorian finally made the move. So I don't suspect this move is going to happen anytime soon, to tell you the truth, unless some team's willing to offer them a boatload of picks and prospects at the draft, which I don't see happening of course it's Jack Eichel so I could be mistaken Jack Eichel certainly is a better player than what Eric Carlson was even when he was in his prime Jack Eichel is he's not quite a generational talent but he's a really really good he's a franchise player for sure and teams are definitely going to be willing to pay a lot for him but I don't see the Buffalo Sabres rushing this Mac I think they're going to draw it out and they're going to wait until they get exactly what they want because when you're offering up Jack Eichel, you get exactly what you want. Nothing more, sorry, nothing less and probably a little bit more, but they know, I'm sure they know exactly what the asking price is. I imagine it's very high, probably a couple first round picks, a few later round picks, 
a top prospect and a decent roster player, at least is what I would imagine they're looking for, for Jack Eichel. And of course, once again, the other thing that comes into play is with Jack Eichel's cap hit being so high, who can afford him? So I think there could be a lot of salary moving in that situation too. So I would be patient. I wouldn't be sitting on the edge of your seat this summer thinking, okay, today's the day Jack Eichel gets traded or tomorrow's the day Jack Eichel gets traded. I think it's going to be a long, drawn out trade negotiation, just like it was with Eric Carlson. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That could happen. I mean, it, it really depends what the market for him is. You know, are teams like the Rangers and the Wild willing to pony up right away for his services? I mean, we'll see. I mean, there's clearly a lot of teams around the league that still need a big number one center. I mentioned Minnesota. That's something that is a glaring need for them. The Rangers, they still do, even though Zimenejad is a good player, probably more of a second liner, I would say. So I also think the LA Kings should be interested in him. There's teams out there that need another piece to really take them to that next level. And that piece should be Jack Eichel. So now let's pivot to another guy who is expected to be on the move. And that's Seth Jones. Seth Jones looked like he was going to be part of the solution for a long time in Columbus, but the Columbus Blue Jackets have had a really bad year just as bad as you could possibly expect. He did not have a good year either. Zach Wierenski was injured, who is kind of a a very good D partner for him that helps him play as well as he does, I would say. So I wanted to ask you, where do you think he fits best? Because it seems like there's no shortage of interest, excuse me. It seems like the Kings, the Flyers, maybe even the Hurricanes, these are some of the teams that are eyeing Seth Jones. Well, I will say if the Hurricanes can land Seth Jones, uh, even if they trade Dougie Hamilton, bring in Seth Jones, I don't think that's too big of a loss because Seth Jones is Seth Jones. There's a reason why for quite a while leading up to his draft year, he was projected to go number one. He ultimately fell to number four, but he's still been a really good player, especially in Columbus. He's really come into his own, but you can't really blame Seth Jones for wanting to move on from Columbus based on what we've seen. There, There are two things here that, I think will make things interesting is one, he only has one year left on his contract. So that will dampen a little bit the return the Blue Jackets would get for him. And he has a no movement clause. So there is that too. So we'll see how that plays into it. I really think Carolina would be an ideal destination for him if he could pick, because obviously he wants to go to a contender. Carolina, if they aren't a contender yet, they're going to be soon. You and I have talked about this many times on the show. And I think he could be a really big plus for the Carolina Hurricanes. You mentioned the Flyers as well. I don't see that being as likely. But one thing the Flyers certainly need is they need some fresh faces on the defense. And Seth Jones could certainly uh, fit in there. And there's a lot of other teams too. You know, I think of a team like Colorado that doesn't need him. Colorado doesn't need a whole lot. You and I know that. But I think there's a lot of teams out there that if they have the cap space and they and they could find an excuse to get an extra defender of the caliber of Seth Jones, they're going to go for it because his cap it isn't all that high at the moment. It's only uh, it's only four point sorry five point four million, and I think that pretty much every team could afford that even in a flat cap. But the question you got to ask yourself as a GM is: this a sign and trade or is he a rental? Are you going to extend him or are you willing to say? 
that, you know, he's going to be here for a year and there's a real possibility that he doesn't stick around because he is just one year from free agency. So that does change how GMs will approach trading for Seth Jones. He is going, unlike Jack Eichel, I do think this trade is imminent. It's going to happen this offseason. He's requested it publicly and it's just a matter of time and finding the correct suitor. Yeah, I agree with that. We'll see where he goes. I think Seth Jones, to me, is a guy who can play big time minutes. You know, he's the the analytics community does not like Seth Jones. But I got to tell you, from what I see him logging huge minutes for the Columbus Blue Jackets, first of all, he needs somebody to play with. But if a contending team or an up and coming team is acquiring him, for sure, they're going to put him in a position to succeed. And to me, he doesn't really get enough love as a very good defenseman. And, uh, you know, that fit in Carolina, if potentially Hamilton is on the move, that would work really well. I mean, can you imagine how good he would look on a pairing with Jacob Slavin? That that would be just dynamite. Oh, it would be incredible. And I, I think there's a lot of potential pairings with Seth Jones and really good defensemen out there that you and I will fantasize about until the trade happens. Absolutely. Okay. One more news and notes comment to get to here. The coach of the year finalists are announced. So Rod Brendamore of the Hurricanes, Joel Quinville of the Panthers, and Dean Evason of the Wild. One of those guys will take home the coach of the year award. Man, I would say all three of these guys very deserving. I'm having a tough time figuring out who I would choose to win it all because I think all three of them deserve it. Your thoughts, Matt? Absolutely. I don't envy the uh, voters on this category on the Jack Adams this year because it's so close. And there, and you really could make a case for all three of them. Yeah. Of course, Joel Quenville, seasoned head coach. He's he turned around the Florida Panthers to have one of their best seasons in a long time. Everson, he the Wilds results speak for themselves. He had a really good year and. On Brendan Moore, you and I have talked about how Brendan Moore should have been coach of the year plenty of times, and he never really got the recognition he deserved. And it's so tough. I don't know if I can make a decision, Mac, because I just see the case for all three of these guys. If if, if you're making me pick one, ooh, I I might have. I think I'd go Everson, Mac, just from what the Wild have been able to do. And yeah, Kaprizov was a big part of that. But the Wild from what they were last year going into the bubble to where they were this year, almost knocking off the Vegas Golden Knights in seven games. I think I have to go uh, Everson, but I could see a lot of uh, voters leaning towards Quenville because of the turnaround he had in Florida. But I, I, I think I go Everson, but it's so tough. It really is tough. You can tell based off of my uh, stuttering and umming and awing here. It's just, it's so tough. I, this is one, if I had a vote, Mac, I would really have to think long and hard about before I cast it. Yeah, I think I would go Brenda Moore ultimately, but it's so close. If I'm breaking down the votes between these three guys, first of all, you mentioned all the great things Everson has done with, I would say, a lesser roster compared to most very good teams. Joel Quenville did a very good job in Florida. Everybody knows he's a very good coach, but I think... Bill Zito deserves a lot of credit for the moves he made, bringing in all those guys and putting them in a position to be successful, adding more depth. He gave Quenville the pieces he needed 
for the Panthers to get a lot better. He just kind of made those pieces work. And at Brenda Moore, I mean, he's just he's a, such a great player for a long time, and, and now he's just a great coach. I mean, I saw the other day when I was watching the series before they got eliminated, on his off days, he coaches some uh, youth Carolina Hurricanes junior camp. I mean, I mean, the guy loves coaching and he loves teaching and he's very good at it. So I think I would pick him. But like you said, it's it's tough. I think you're going to see votes for all three of these guys. Yeah, it's very, very tough. And I really don't envy the voters on the Jack Adams this year. And you make a great case for Rendemore. I made a good one for Everson. You and I can stay here and make a great case for Quenville as well. So. All rightly deserving of the Jack Adams, but ultimately only one can win. And we will eagerly await to see what the results of the Jack Adams are this year. Okay, let's talk some playoffs. First of all, Islanders and Lightning. The Islanders lead that series one game to zero after a 2-1 win, an extremely close game. Matt, what were your thoughts on game one? Well, going into game one, I saw one of two things happening, Mac. I saw either the Tampa Bay Lightning really just overpowering the uh, Islanders, which we saw the Bruins do at times during the second round, or I saw Barry Trotz playing the perfect shutdown game. And that's really what the uh, the Islanders did. They came in and they played as perfectly as you could against all that talent that the Tampa Bay Lightning had. Now, of course, it was very, very close. And I suspect this series the whole way through will be very, very close. But to me, what gives the Islanders a little bit more of an edge this year than they had last year, Mac, is that they know this Tampa Bay team. They know how they play in the playoffs. They know who to cover. Barry Trotz is only going to demand hard work out of his guys. And he has the ultimate respect of of every player on that team. And they play for one another. I really think that the Islanders could beat the Lightning here. But, of course, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, and when they were on in game one, they were naturally very hard to stop. Lots of block shots for the Islanders and lots of really nice saves for the Islanders. It's really, it was a really, really good game. I suspect another good one tonight. And I expect pretty much every game in this series, Mac, is going to be as close as it can get because these two teams are really evenly matched. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned how well the Islanders played in game one. That's pretty much just how Barry Trotz wanted them to play. They were physical. They had great goaltending. And they really didn't allow Tampa Bay to play the game that they wanted to play, which means Tampa Bay, they really like to play a fast game. They love the stretch passes. They like to do certain things. And I thought the Islanders came very well prepared. They were intercepting a lot of those passes. They were just disrupting the flow. And one of those led to a goal from Matthew Barzell. And I thought, from my perspective, they really focused in on Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. And listen, the Tampa Bay Lightning have a lot of question, have a lot of weapons, excuse me. But if I had to focus on two players that I wanted to kind of shut down, I would focus on those two guys because they're proven playoff performers. They're dynamic. If you give them any sort of space or room, they've got great shots. They can pass their play drivers. So I think that was the correct thing to do. The one thing I would say about that game one is it was only a one goal game. And yes, the Islanders did win, but Tampa Bay had plenty of chances. And I don't think Tampa Bay played particularly well in that game. 
from the Islanders perspective, I think Barzell has really turned a corner. I mean, first of all, in the series against Boston, he just he started to realize that earning that open ice was going to be difficult and he was going to get hit a lot and hard. And I think the first round was frustrating for him against Pittsburgh, started frustrating against Boston. But after, I would say, the first game, he really just came back with more determination and the results are there. Seven points in his last six playoff games. And of course, he scored a huge goal to give the Islanders the lead, who eventually won game one. What are your thoughts on Matt Burzell? Well, Matt Burzell has had a coming out party this playoffs, Mac. There's no doubt about that. And it's too bad Islanders fans haven't really come up with a perfect chant for Barzell yet, like they have for Josh Bailey. I think it's coming based off the playoffs he's had. And he, he's their bread and butter. He's their star player for a reason. He's just been so good. He's stepped up when the Islanders have needed him to step up. He's delivered in the clutch. He's made some really nice blocks. He does all the little things, too, along with the scoring, too. And that's what I like so much about Matthew Barzell. And certainly he's probably, he, he'll be target number one for the uh, Lightning defenders tonight because he is just so good. And I'm sure a lot of teams wish they had a Matthew Barzell on their on their first line right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to make a little prediction here. I say Lightning win tonight. This this series is going to go probably seven games. It's going to be great. Much better than the other series that we are about to talk about. What do you think tonight, Matt? Uh, I'm going to go with you. I think it'll be a Tampa win. I'm going to I'll even give you a score, Mac. I will say three to two, Tampa in double overtime, Nikita Kucherov with the winner. So you heard it here for first, folks. If that happens, well, I'll be bragging about it for the entirety of the next episode. But if it doesn't happen, well, I can say I, I can say I tried. <laughs> All right, let's move on to that next aforementioned series. The Golden Knights and Montreal Canadiens. Vegas leads one to nothing. And look, after a tough series against an extremely good Avs team, the Golden Knights really didn't have much trouble with Montreal in game one, and they really shouldn't have. I would say the start of the game favored Montreal, but Fleury made some big saves, and Vegas continued to do the things that made them successful. And we've been critical of the Vegas Golden Knights the last few years, Matt, but under Pete DeBoer, they have really learned how to do these things, which is drive the front of the net, defend with a purpose, and activate their defensemen in the offense. I mean, they lead the league in points by defensemen in the playoffs. That is a phenomenal stat, considering how good defensively this team is. Absolutely. And the Golden Knights, to me, are just nothing against Montreal. But the Vegas Golden Knights are on a whole other level than what Montreal is at the moment. Well, Montreal, they they played a couple good rounds against Canadian teams, but then I, I'd make it I could make a good argument here, Max, saying that North was the weakest division this year. And the Golden Knights, I predicted them to win in five. I, I still stand by that. And I think that the Golden Knights will be a real tough out for the Canadians. However, on the flip side of things, Max, there were moments in game one where I thought Wow, Fleury is really bailing out the uh, Golden Knights here because the Habs were all over them, especially at the start of that game. The Habs started the, that game really well, Matt. 
They had some really good shots, and Flurry had to make some fabulous saves on Foley, Caulfield, Suzuki, all the all their top scorers. They were coming out, they were trying to silence the crowd, but man, beating Flurry for in four games is gonna be tough. And and Carey Price, of course, was very good too. I do think even if the series only goes to the five or six games, Mac, I think it'll be a very cl- the the scores will be very close just because both the goaltenders are so good. Yeah, for sure. Carey Price did everything he could to keep Montreal in the game, but it just wasn't quite enough. And it's going to be tough for Montreal, like you mentioned. The one thing I did want to mention before we wrap up on this series is very cool to see Cole Caulfield scoring the only goal for Montreal. His whole family was in attendance, his sister, his brother, and his parents. That was very cool to see. They were very emotional. And and listen, we talked about Caulfield before the playoffs started. We didn't understand what Montreal was trying to do with him. But ever since coming into the lineup, he has four points in his last five games. He has just gotten better and better with more playoff experience. And he's a playmaker. He doesn't like to lose. So the biggest challenge for Montreal is fighting through that that kind of adversity that you saw uh, in the first period where Fleury's standing on his head and they can't seem to get anything to go. And then they get frustrated and they start taking some penalties and then they give the momentum to Vegas and Vegas just takes over the game in the second and third period. And really, Montreal had no chance the way the Golden Knights were playing. They just shut them down the rest of the way. They scored a few more goals and Montreal just needs to find a way to, I would say, kind of start the first period with a goal or tied zero zero. That's kind of your goal, in my opinion, in game two. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think that Montreal is certainly going to try and do that, but Vegas is going to make it very tough. And I know you have Vegas in six, right? So, yeah, I do. I think you have to give it to Carey Price and the Canadians. I think they could take a game or two. I still think Vegas is going to win for sure. It'll be really interesting to see how they do against a team like the Islanders or the Lightning. Either way, you know, if you look ahead, Matt, we're going to have a fantastic Stanley Cup. So, oh, absolutely. We have that to look forward to. And um, like I said, Islanders and Lightning tonight. I can't wait for that. Anything else we wanted to touch on before we wrapped up this episode? No. uh, Well, the only thing we're working on is we are preparing our draft episode uh, slowly but surely. Uh, Do we have a date for the draft, Mac? It's not like last year where I was counting down the days. (laughs) I don't think we do. Actually, we might have a tentative date, but the draft is coming, and you and I will have coverage there, and we'll have a Stanley Cup Finals preview show. So we might get a couple episodes in this month a couple more episodes in this month, depending on how things go. But uh, I don't think there's a whole lot more to add on today. Do you? No. So just like you mentioned, we actually do have a date. It's July 23rd to 24th, apparently, is when the draft is, is supposed to take place. So, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We appreciate all of you tuning in. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the blue, white, and red logo. Take care. Enjoy the game. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you soon.